welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you. Today, Jesus would like to share with us the good news about breaking bad habits. I think I need to hear that message. (laughs) When trainers are taming a little baby elephant, they will place a heavy chain around its ankle and they will stake the chain into the ground. And day after day and hour after hour, this baby elephant tries to struggle to escape from the chain. But of course, uh, his efforts are in vain and he simply can't break free from the grips It's a powerful chain, after all. So eventually, the little baby elephant surrenders himself. He resolves in his mind that there's no possible way of escape uh, from that chain, and so he just relinquishes forever the freedom, the struggle, rather, to be free from it. And then when he has given up trying, his masters replace that giant chain with a little small rope. And if the elephant ever opened up its eyes to the truth, he could break free at any moment from that little rope, but all it would take would be one try. But since the elephant doesn't know that, he doesn't know how to take a step in the right direction of freedom. And so it happens that 10, 20, 30 years later, the little baby becomes a giant elephant and remains held in bondage by something that really has no power to control him except the power he chooses to give that little rope. I have a Native American friend who lives in Southern California, and once in a while he will call me, and we enjoy Christian fellowship. He's a very down-to-earth fellow, and he asked me one time this question, what is the secret of overcoming habitual sin? And we talked about righteousness by faith and uh, about the fact that if we really understood righteousness by faith we would know the secret to overcoming bad habits. And sometimes we think we understand righteousness by faith, but we really don't. Consequently, we have no victory over bad habits. Some have no control over their temper, and they are as quick-tempered as a flash, and in this respect, they have hardly any control of themselves at all, much less control over their temper. Others are ruled by their passions. I think about... Felix, in the New Testament, before whom the Apostle Paul reasoned of righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. And others are ruled by their appetites, things which maybe themselves are perfectly okay, but by which thousands of people allow themselves to be controlled by their appetites. And instead of assuming the mastery themselves and acting with self-control, they become ruled by these appetites, and others allow the desire of greed to rule and to drive them onward into many foolish and hurtful things. 
And so it goes on in all things, in every phase of life. Instead of ruling themselves, they allow themselves to be ruled by some wicked, sinful thing. And one is controlled by strong drink, and another is controlled by impure thoughts, and another by lustful desires, and another by gluttonous appetite, and so on through the long list of human frailties. And each one lacks something of that self-control which he owes himself in filling the place of a real manly man and a womanly woman in the world. And no one of us has much in which he can boast himself over his fellow mortals in this regard. And so now to my friend's question, how do you overcome bad habits? We fall prey to habits because obviously it brings us perceived pleasure, but bad habits are a form of pleasing self. The circle of concern is self-centeredness. And if the secret to victory over bad habits is focused on self, the results are going to be a continued failure. I went to an interesting source uh, looking at some sermons on overcoming bad habits. And all of them produce lists of things that if one does, they will be successful in overcoming bad habits. And, of course, lists of things that one must do ends up involving self, doesn't it? And, consequently, no victory over bad habits. I think of history in this regard. In 1888, there was a woman, an evangelical woman, involved with the Victor- what was known as the Victorious Life Movement. Her name was Hannah Whitehall Smith, and she published a book very intriguing title, The Christian Secret to a Happy Life, in which she did addressed this whole matter of overcoming bad habits, and uh, it's the evangelical version of Ellen White's book called Steps to Christ, which was published in 1892. Well, this secret to a happy Christian life is a very beautiful little literary masterpiece of charming clarity, and it's no wonder, I suppose, that it's gone through many reprints. Even to this day, one can find it in in, uh, evangelical bookstores. And so oftentimes it has been adopted even in our midst as being a clarity to how to overcome bad habits in one's life. But in this book, she wrote these words. She said, the secret, well, the secret is this. At this point, it is that I desire to help you. What you must do now, what you must do now is to come once more to him in a surrender of your whole self to his will as completely as you know how to make it. It sounds very good, doesn't it? That you must learn how to surrender your whole will to God. Now, does Steps to Christ teach the same basic message as the Christian secret of a happy life? Hannah Whitehall Smith really detours completely around the atonement of a reconciled, alienated heart being brought into reconciliation with God. It completely detours around the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, in her preface to her book, she says this, most of us acknowledge that there is behind all religions an absolute religion that holds the vital truth of each religion, and it is of this absolute religion my book seeks to treat. In other words, all religions lead to the one true religion. Do you agree with that philosophy? I don't either. In contrast, 
Steps to Christ points the reader on page 27 to the cross of Jesus Christ seven times. Steps to Christ on one page points the reader to Jesus Christ and the cross. I love these words. She says, God upon the cross of Calvary, the mystery of redemption, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. In dying for sinners, Christ manifested a love that is incomprehensible. And as the sinner beholds this love, it softens the heart. It is the power of Christ that is drawing them. As Christ draws them to look upon his cross, to behold him whom their sins have pierced, the sinner may resist this love, may refuse to be drawn to Christ, But if he does not resist, he will be drawn to Jesus. A knowledge of the plan of salvation will lead him to the foot of the cross in repentance for his sins which have caused the sufferings of God's dear son. Seven times on one page. You don't find that in the evangelical version of The Secret of Beating Bad Habits. Ellen White also says in a wonderful book, Christ Object Lessons, page 159, but no man can empty himself of self. But no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent. You know what the word consent means? Permission. Permission or or allow. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. Well, I only bring this to your attention by, ver- by way of an illustration, but Ellen White has just said here that no man can empty himself of self, so it really makes me wonder whether I can sing that hymn on page 309, I Surrender All. It really makes me wonder. It expresses the idea that ego, I, can give up self to Jesus. But Ellen White leads me to the conclusion that can I really surrender self? She says I may give permission, I can consent, I can allow it. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, where Paul addresses this very issue that we're talking about this morning. Romans chapter 7 and verse 19 where Paul presents the ego, the I, the self, and that is what he says is the very center of the problem of doing the right thing. The ego is the very center of the problem of doing the right thing. And Ellen White has told us that no one can surrender himself to God. And in that verse, Romans 7, 19, uh, Paul says, For the good that I would, 
I do not. But the evil I would not, that I do. You see where the center of the problem is? It's the ego, isn't it? It's the self. You know, people who are doing bad habits that know that it could conclude in a a life-or-death situation for them, the problem is not knowledge. They know they've got a bad habit, correct? And no amount of more knowledge is going to convince them further. They already know it. The problem is they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to deliver self from this bondage. And that's really our problem too, isn't it? On every level of addiction to sin. You know, there have been endless uh, debates over whether Paul here is writing about before he was a Christian or after he was a Christian. And there are those who will adamantly claim that Paul is talking here about a person who is converted, who knows what is right and doesn't do it, and that he's talking about the normal Christian life in Romans chapter 7. And for those who argue that this is the normal Christian life of a tension between knowing what is good and not being able to do it, in other words, knowing all there is to know about righteousness by faith, but not even practicing it, not practicing it, this gives a real good excuse to keep on sinning. There's no hope. Oh, this is just the way the Christian life is. Just expect it. You're going to have some good days and you're going to have some bad days. We're all not perfect, you know. So just go with the flow. Pretty good excuse to continue in sin. Bad habits can never be overcome. After all, Paul describes himself here in Romans chapter 7. You know, it probably really doesn't matter one way or the other if Paul is specifically addressing uh, the person before they're converted or after they're converted. Paul's eye here Paul's ego is the ego of the whole human race, whether they know Christ or don't. We all have the ego. We all have the self. And so as long as ego is alive and motivating the life, whether one is a Christian or a non-Christian, one is living under the old covenant. When self is alive, it's an old covenant motivation. It's an under-the-law motivation, experience that is driven by fear of hell and hope of reward. And there is no reconciliation of the heart. Consequently, there is no seeing and appreciating uh, the cross of Christ. And self is very much alive. And there is no heart reconciliation with God. There are many Christians in that state. Self is not in harmony with God's law, however much the ego might agree to the law's goodness and holiness and that the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week. Self is very much alive. It has never been crucified with Christ on an ongoing basis. Now, the dear Lord doesn't want us to get ourselves into old covenant resolutions Uh, Paul plainly said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 24, that the old covenant genders to bondage. 
If self is the motivator and it has not been crucified with Christ, it genders to bondage is what it does. The little book steps to, uh, it can be nothing but spiritual slavery. The little book steps to Christ tells us why. On page 47, you desire to give yourself to him, that is the Lord, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. It's what we're talking about this morning, isn't it? Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. That's quite an image, isn't it? You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. So stop right there. Here's the problem. The memory of your frequent failures to keep your promises makes you feel that you're no good and that God cannot accept you or respect you. That's a horrible slavery, isn't it? That's a horrible slavery. A far better way is under the new covenant. Instead of promising God that you will do better, thank him that he has promised to save you that Christ has given himself for you already and bought you with his blood and that you are precious in his sight. I'll tell you, the new covenant is good news. The old covenant is bad news. There are thousands of people who have quit smoking through the simple formula, I choose not to smoke. And when temptation assails us, our part is to choose not to yield. And then the Holy Spirit is free, freed to go into action. No matter if your will is weak, you are still the boss. The tempter can never force you to do wrong against your will. No man, Ellen White says, no man can be forced to sin. His own consent must be first gained. The soul must purpose the sinful act before passion can dominate over reason or iniquity triumph over conscience. Temptation, however strong, is never an excuse for sin. So the good news of sanctification by faith is beautifully expressed. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For those of us, myself included, who desire to know the good news of breaking a bad habit, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 is our good news text this morning. Paul, speaking to Titus, says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That grace teaches us to say no. To ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
Do you know how to pronounce the word no to temptation? It's a good Bible word. The grace of God will teach you to say no to temptation. It teaches us to be the boss. The grace of God teaches us to be the king, to be manly men and to be womanly women in self-control. And none of the enemy's most alluring temptations can stand up against what the Holy Spirit teaches us to say no, which expresses, the word no expresses the right action of the will. Consent. Consent. And how does the grace of God succeed in teaching us backward mortals such a marvelous skill like that? by providing two motivators, and that is an appreciation of how Christ gave himself for us on the cross, and secondly, the delightful anticipation of letting him purify for himself a people ready to honor him at his glorious appearing. And it works. Is choosing hard? Is choosing hard? You know, when you fall in love with someone, is it hard to forsake all others and to cleave to that loved one? The constraint, you see, of the love of Christ makes all of the allurements of the world seem as pale as a street light glowing in comparison with the pure brilliance of the sun. And also, when you are yoked with Christ, we find that he bears the weight when When Jesus' love grips your heart, it's easy to say no to temptation. Much more easy than to say yes to it. And this is what it means to live by the Spirit. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. It's a constant choosing to say no to temptation. Yes to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never forsakes us. Night or day, 24-7. He's the one that is called to come, to sit down beside us. He is constantly there. Isaiah says, whether you turn to the right hand or to the left, it is his voice that you hear behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Isaiah 30, verse 21. This response of faith is not salvation by works, not even 1%. We walk by faith. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And as we respond by faith to the good news of justification, the love of God, so we now respond by the same faith to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so we let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when sorely tempted, Jesus cried out, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Thy will be done. And thus he exercised his own choice of will. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. You see, Jesus' whole life from birth to death was a constant life of the crucifixion of his will. Self-denial. That's the normal Christian life. Yes. Oh, it was a terrible struggle for Jesus but he gained the victory as we are to gain it by the right action of the will. 
consent to let him do it. And he's never going, he's never, he will never will for us to, or excuse us from exercising. He's not ever going to take the exercise of choice, the power of choice away from us, even though we, re, we do read in Philippians chapter 13, 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so since the Lord gives the Holy Spirit to tell us this is the way, and he also gives us the power to respond, he works in us his will. But this never bypasses our own choice, nor does he overwhelm it. Not all of the angels in heaven tugging together in our behalf can release us from making our choice for or against, nor can all the fallen angels in heaven or in hell force us to make a wrong choice. And since we can choose to let this mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, does this mean that the believer is now saving himself by his own efforts, is surrendering to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, a do-it-yourself religion in which we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps? Never. Although we cannot save ourselves even 1%, we can let our Lord save us 100%. That's the consent. And if we make the right choices, we walk with the Spirit. We let Christ's mind be in us in the sense of motivation. You know, it's like the power steering in a great big 18-wheeler. No way can you turn this great front wheels of this 18-wheeler by yourself. But if the engine is running, your choice to turn right or left is all that is needed, then the slightest pressure on the steering wheel activates the power steering pump to do all of the work. Paul didn't have power steering in his day, but he understood the secret of sanctification by faith in Galatians chapter 5, 16, when he wrote, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not or cannot do what you want. So it's good news again. The power source is the Holy Spirit. Give him your will. Make your choice to walk in his way, and you cannot be overcome by the desires of the sinful nature, however strong they may be or however long you may have walked in evil habits. The reason is simple, because the Holy Spirit is stronger than your flesh. Just as light is stronger than darkness and love is stronger than hatred. Who is stronger, Christ or the angel who fell from heaven, Satan? Which is stronger, light or darkness? Which is stronger, agape or hatred? Which is stronger, that much more abounding grace of the Lord Jesus Christ or the power of our evil appetites and habits and obsessions and addictions? It's got to be a much more abounding grace. Which is stronger, the power of death that held Jesus Christ captive in Joseph's tomb or the resurrection power of the Father that raised him up after three days. So we can't say it often enough that much more abounding grace is stronger than all of the power of sin that the devil can invent. 
In fact, there is in that grace much more power. In fact, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, we read. So let's not try to serve God with anything less than that full power of that much more abounding grace. It's revealed in Christ. That grace of Christ is the enemy of sin. It condemns it. It defeats it, conquers it. It annihilates it so that we might be free indeed. And then we discover something precious. It's easy to be saved and hard to be lost when we begin to appreciate that much more abounding grace. We must not conclude that the upward path is the hard path and the downward path is the easy one. It's exactly the opposite. All the way that leads to hell, there are impediments, there are obstacles to hinder us in that way. God is constantly trying to tell us this. It's like we are driving on the freeway. You're at the wheel because you are the boss, but the Holy Spirit is sitting there right beside you on the front seat, and he is saying, don't stay on this freeway to hell. Take this exit to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do when he gave him the name Parakletos. That means the one who is called to sit down beside you and never leave you. Para means beside you. Kletos means called. And don't misunderstand. You, you do have something to do. It's to make the constant choice to let the Spirit guide you. But please remember that you are not your own Savior. You let the Lord save you and deliver you from bad habits. It is you who turns the wheel onto that blessed exit off of the freeway to hell You see that exit coming up, turn off to eternal life, but he guided you to do it, and you praise the Lord forever and ever to draw you off that freeway to hell. In Rwanda, a man-eating lion had been troubling the villagers, and this was terrible. No one felt secure in the village. They came to the doctor At the mission, they asked him to bring his gun to shoot this offender. And so the doctor took his 7-millimeter Mauser with the long trigger, and he went with the guide, and they walked a long distance. And when finally the guide said, here is where we saw the lion last, the missionary reached into his pocket for some bullets, and he discovered to his horror that he had left the bullets back at the mission. And so, quick, he urged the guide, you hurry back and you fetch the ammunition for me, I'll wait here for you. And there was a log log nearby, so he sat down to wait on the log, and then he dozed off to sleep. And he was awakened by a rustling noise in the grass, just in time to see the lion facing him. And he realized that his gun was useless, that to run would be sure suicide. And so as the lion took a step toward him, the doctor took a trembling step toward him. And the lion got into springing position, ready. And the doctor, realizing in a flash that he must do something quickly, threw down his useless gun, and he took another step toward his enemy. 
And seeing that the beast hesitated for a fraction of a second, he decided to turn things completely around backward from usual, and he charged the lion. On he came, shouting, waving his arms wildly, looking the lion in the eye and yelling, Go away! Go! Go! And the beast was so completely taken by surprise... How dare this puny, two-legged creature come at him, yelling and screaming as if he were the king of the forest. And he was so shocked that he turned tail and he ran. You know, our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may be devoured. But the Lord has made us the boss of our own person in terms of choice. We have been given the power of choice. And Christ has given all men the liberty to exercise the power of choice. A firm, decided choice makes us indeed king of Satan's forest. For if we resist the devil, James tells us, he will flee, in James 4, verse 7. And by the right action of the will, exercising this God-given authority, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra, and you will trample the great lion and the serpent. Psalm 91.13. And while the Holy Spirit indeed does the work, our part is to let him do it. And that is important. Our carnal mind is constantly fighting him. If we don't consent for him to sanctify us, he's blocked and he's frustrated. So that's why the admonition is, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.5. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3, 15 and 16. The power of choice is ours. And what the Lord does in us is always contingent on our choice to let him do it. It was a wise writer who said this. What you need to understand, this is Sepsa Christ 47, What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart, the self, the ego. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's the good news of breaking bad habits. Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.